Hey friend, this podcast is brought to you by The Family Thrive, an expert-led, science-backed online community for parents who want to dig deeper and do better. Join us at thefamilythrive.com. What if you could be the first person, your teenager, your child, anyone, your spouse for that matter, wants to talk to and listen to instead of the last? Because how many times, don't tell my parents, they'll kill me versus I want to go right to my mom and dad because they love me more than anyone and they're going to be the ones who are going to help me through this. For many parents, the teen years are like a terrible storm they just have to weather and get through. But today's guests are here to show us that it doesn't have to be that way. Jenna Curtis is an expert in sexuality and gender and a professor of health at SUNY Cortland. And Vanessa Baker is a professional parent-teen relationship coach who specializes in helping parents and teens reconnect and actually strengthen their relationship during those rocky adolescent years. They're just two of eight amazing experts we've collected at the Family Thrive to create a groundbreaking workshop called Thriving Through the Teen Years, Building and Keeping a Deep Loving Relationship with Your Teenager. In this episode, we talk about Jenna and Vanessa's experience as parents of teenagers. They have parented seven teens between them. We talk about their experience as professionals working with teens and young adults. We cover some common problems that parents run into with teens, and we finish by discussing how parenting a teenager is an amazing opportunity for personal growth for parents. You're going to love this conversation, I guarantee it. So without further ado, here's the always wise and insightful Jenna Curtis and Vanessa Baker. All right. Oh, Vanessa and Jenna, thank you so much for joining me today. We are here to talk about teens, about parenting teens, about communication between parents and teens. And you both have been absolutely instrumental in developing this amazing workshop in the Family Thrive. And our goal with this three-week workshop is to deepen and strengthen the relationship between parents and teens. Both of you have really, in my opinion, transformational lessons in there with a bunch of different tools. But before we talk about them, uh, well, the goal of this podcast is not just to talk about the workshop. We will talk about the workshop. But I wanted to really bring on two of the stars in this workshop. We have eight different experts. So you're two of of eight amazing experts. But I wanted to bring us all together here so we can talk about some of the context for doing a workshop like this and why it's so needed and um, why it can really change the course for so many parents and families. So let's just start off. I just want to, to hear about your own parenting journeys at the beginning, because not o- only are you both experts in your own right, Jenna, uh, we've had you on the podcast before. Listeners will know that you are an expert in gender and sexuality and a, prof- and a professor at SUNY Cortland. Vanessa, parents or listeners will know that you are a professional parent coach and you specialize in helping parents who are 
having challenges with their teens. And so you, you're both in this space as professionals and experts, but you're also like real parents. You're like actual real parents. So let's talk about your own parenting experience with, with teens. For the sake of simplicity, I'll just go in alphabetical order and I'll start with Vanessa because your last <laughs> name is Baker. <laughs> I didn't know which first or last name. I was like, oh, I can do I know. Yeah. I was thinking last name, <laughs> Baker and then Curtis. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fine. That's great. Yes. And I've, I've recently kind of nicknamed myself the effed up family whisperer to add to my title. And it's so funny how many more people were able to reach out to me when I made that funny little change because though I don't walk around calling people effed up, not at all, or I think everybody is, and it would be cool if we could all kind of get with that. We'd be better mm. off. Um, everyone, it was so funny. They're like, oh, that's what you do? Oh my gosh, sign me up. So I, I, I have a little heart for the U when I spell it out on my little logo branding stuff. And um, also, yeah, I have five kids, um, teenagers and a three-year-old. So six, <laughs> if you're doing math there. Um, yes. My teenagers are 13, 14, 16, 17, and 19. And they're all really different from one another. And then that was from my first marriage. And then I have a, a boy who's going to be three on this happy birdie, which is coming up in about a week. <laughs> so Vanessa, tell us a little bit about the journey for you as a parent of teens. So when, when your first, when your oldest child started to come into the tween years, was there anything that popped up immediately or was it in kid two and three as they were coming through the teen years? Like when did you realize that, oh my God, this is a whole nother thing? I certainly predicted based on what everyone was telling me, oh boy, you're in for it, Vanessa, you're in for it. Even when they were 10 years younger, you know, from three to nine. And so there was a moment way before it, it happened where I it's part of my origin story, you know, where it's like, oh no, I am not going down like that. So I didn't feel blindsided. I felt like I was was on a mission to not drink the Kool-Aid, that parenting has to suck and that having five teenagers is going to ruin my life. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> life's hard enough. I don't need the people I love the most in the world being my worst enemies, like everyone says it's supposed to go. So there was that. Oh, you know, it's funny. I've never realized this. No one's ever put it like when your first child became a tween. When my first child was in eighth grade, seventh, eighth, like right in that like summerish area, that's when I came out. I was mm. 38 years old. And that's when I asked for a divorce from my ex-husband. So it wasn't just like, okay, and you're 12, 11, nine, you know, down to seven or whatever. It was like the most huge, most tragic sort of family breaking up situation at the same time. So anyway, um, I, I've always taken the approach that they're people. I'm never like even caught. This sounds really silly because it's what I do. And even in the title of my book, I have the word teenager, but I just think it, it's just like rife with, with like everyone, you hear that word and you're like, Ooh, judge ew, teenagers, ew, ew. And I just like to think of them as people who are shorter and then a little taller and a little hairier, maybe. <laughs> and I, I don't get into like, you're this at this age, you're that at that age. I'm aware of it, but I don't, I don't freak out. At, oh, they're driving. They're 16. I'm like, no, this is a person who learned how to do a skill 
and now they're doing great at it. You know what I'm talking about? The Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Well, right. So what I'm he- hearing is that you approach it from the very beginning of these are human beings and th- I'm going to approach them in their entire humanity yeah. um, and not as this weird teen no man's land, you know, where, <laughs> yeah, we, we can kind of uh, get extremely nervous and, right. uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So Jenna, let's, let's, let's hear about your uh, teenage journey or your journey with your teenagers. What was it like as, as your oldest child came into the tween years and then the teen years? So I had a bit of a different experience. Uh, my kids are now 29 and almost 26. Um, And when my kids were approaching the teen years, I'm a sexual health professor. I teach adolescent development and gender and sexuality, and I teach people how to teach those things. Um, And so I felt really prepared. Um, And and I think one of the things um, that Vanessa said that really resonated with me is sort of like all that doom talk about about the emotions of parenting teens. Um, And one of the things that was really challenging for me was recognizing that sometimes knowing something intellectually or understanding the theory behind why something is happening does not make it hurt any less in that moment. Uh, That as a parent, we still have those emotions, we still have this investment, we have this story in our head of what a fabulous life would look like for our kiddo. Um, And when they diverge from that path, it can be really hard, even when we know why that's happening or what the appropriate response is to, to show up with that. Um, and I got that lesson really clearly. I was teaching a graduate class, literally teaching adolescent development and talking about the fact that adolescents really need to experiment with hair and clothes and all this identity stuff. And as I'm having this, this conversation with my graduate students, my then 15-year-old son calls to say, and I pick up the phone because he's going through a rough spot. And, and so, like, my kids always get me no matter what um, else is going on, unless I'm performing open heart surgery, which I don't do, right? So, like, if I'm teaching and my kid is calling, they know when I teach, like, they need me and I'm going to answer. So, I answer the phone and it's my 15-year-old kid saying, I'm shaving my head. I just wanted you to know so you wouldn't be shocked when you got home. He's a skinny redhead. Like he, I can picture this in my head, and it's a terrible, terrible look. It's <laughs> hypocrite to scream into the phone in front of a couple of says, Don't you dare your head! <laughs> don't, 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 don't! Like, let's talk about this. Put down the razor. Like, and, and so what I found myself saying because I had an audience is, okay, it's your head. Hair grows back if you don't like it. I'll be home at nine thirty pick up after yourself and we'll see what it looks like. (laughs) Um, And and luckily, like I was on the spot to do the right thing because my instinct was like, ginger hair is beautiful. Don't get rid of that. So, so I think one of the really interesting parts of my journey has been thinking about the difference between what we know and our, and our intellect and our heart and, and what we want. And especially again, as it goes for that story of what would be the best thing for your kid or a good thing for your kid and what you think would be a bad thing for them. And, and mm. for me, that really, really comes to head in the teen years. Like you'll have stubborn kids before that, but it's really adolescents who are like, nope, these are all the things you care about, not me. Right. And that's a lot. 
So what I'm hearing is, with both of your stories is this really difficult transition. And we talk a lot about it in all the lessons in the workshop, transitioning from this childhood, from parenting a child where you know, you're know you going from like feeding them and picking out their clothes. And it's like, this is a little mini me, uh, you know, where you've, <laughs> you've decided everything in their life. And all of a sudden we're going through this transition and it's like, what, what is happening? What is this thing that has its own identity or that is developing its own identity, that it's developing its own ideas. And this can be really destabilizing. Uh, and so what I heard for Vanessa that you kind of were ahead of the curve. Like you were thinking, you know what, these are human beings. These, these are their own human beings before they even went through the uh, teen transition. Is that right? Yeah. And, and I probably wouldn't have been there except for that. My second child was, I just wrote about this. I, I want to like, like tell you everything, but I want to save it for who asked me to write it on some blog somewhere. It'll come out soon. But, but what I want to say is that my second child was the most opposite from me is still the most opposite from me and the most challenging person to ever exist. And they came out of <laughs> my womb. And I am like, uh, there's been a mix up at the hospital and my first child was so vanilla still is so boring and wonderful and like linear and coachable and like, just, you know, like, we're like, what is he? Right. And my second one came along and here's one thing that I got. And really, honestly, people are like in that moment, I'm like, yeah, in that moment, you know, you feel energy. Right. So I, I had my second baby and I, and I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> like I just felt it in my soul. Right. And then I'm like, okay, this probably happened a little later. I go, if I'm going to take credit for number one and his little perfect way of being, then I'm going to have to take responsibility <laughs> for how number two is. And I'm not willing to do that. So I knew right then that I that people are who people are. And it's my job to guide them their own bumpy route. And it is not about me. I just got that. I wouldn't accept it. And it was kind of like a it was dumb luck, you know, in a way that I got that mm. lesson. I wasn't being wise. I was being prideful. But do you hear what I mean? Yeah. Wow. So for you, it I'm feeling into your story and getting this energetic lesson, feeling into maybe the emotional reality of the differences between these kids. And then I think about Jenna, who is there in her graduate school class and is teaching the science behind adolescence right. develop, adolescent development. And so, Jenna, I want to check in with you. I imagine a lot of your coming into the teen years was informed by a lot of the research and science that you've done and that you have been exposed to. But I want to check in on this kind of energetic, emotional aspect. What was that like for you? Yeah. And, and, and these really strong, really heightened emotions. Um, and the part that, that Vanessa said that made me cringe a little bit with, with shame of my own behavior was it's not about mm. you. Right. right. Um, because, uh, and, and here's the thing, city folks, um, I live in a town of 30,000 people. My students were my kids' junior high and high school student teachers. 
right? I would, when I bought my kids grocery shopping, would run into people I knew from work all the time. Um, and I, and, and again, like I, I was able to mostly make it not about me. One of the best things I did when my kids started going to junior high is I sat them down and I had a conversation and I said, I will never come to your class with condoms because I know that it would embarrass you and be terrible unless I have your permission ahead of time. And I would really, really appreciate it if neither of you were involved in any sort of teen pregnancy. Because that would be humiliating for me as a professional. So like, let's <laughs> and right, and I thought I had it really down. Um, and then when my youngest kid, Zach, was 15, um, he was diagnosed with treatment-resistant major depressive disorder um, and was actively suicidal. Um, and we tried all sorts of things to keep him safe and to, and to, to treat him, but we, it, it took over a year to find a treatment that really worked. Um, and finally, his psychiatrist said to me, you need to let him drop out of high school. Mm. And freaking college professor. <laughs> I struggled so much with that one. And I thought like, he could take a leave of absence. He could take medical leave. He could take. Um, and, and finally, the psychiatrist said, you know, if your kid were immunocompromised and I said, sending him to school with other children will, will make him sick enough that we can't keep up. Like I am telling you the, the environment for your child right now in high school is making it hard for us to keep him alive. You need to allow him to drop out. And, and it really took someone putting it in those terms for me to be able to get out of my own head about what would it say about me as a parent Ooh. Ooh. if my were struggling emotionally so much that he needed to drop out of high school because I wasn't able to fix it. Wow. And luckily, the great thing about having a kid who's, who's that seriously ill is you have this fabulous team if you're lucky. And I was very lucky and I have access to great care. I had this fabulous team of medical professionals who helped me reframe that. Like we got to do lots of really intense family counseling and stuff. But, but with all of my background, like by, by the time this happened, I was a tenured professor. I've been teaching this. You know, I've gone through grad school. I've been teaching all this stuff for about a decade. It still really felt like it was a critique of me and my parenting. To, to let my kid drop out of school. Oh. Um, and so I think that, again, despite what we know and despite our good intentions, uh, and we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, Justin, like one of the things that we really need to do to parent teens well is to look at our own stuff and recognize sometimes that, that we might need to change or that we might need to grow to help our kids get to the place that is healthy for them. Oh, I love that. That's that is a common theme that goes through all of the lessons in the workshop, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But um, I wanted to ask Vanessa. So what I what I heard from Jenna, which is which resonates really deeply with me, is that uh, my identity is wrapped up in how my child does and how my child uh, appears to the world. Like if this kid can, you know, uh, perform well in, in, in school and extracurricular activities, and then later on can get into the right college, it's not about them. It's about me. It's like, I get the star. <laughs> I like, <laughs> so how often do you come across this in the parents you coach? All the time, all the time, all the time. And it's so freeing. I love this topic. I'm like trying not to like 
freak out right now. Okay, so listen to this. I just got a text from a very uptight mom who I just finished working with for my eight-week program. It's called Full Family Transformation. So I'm looking at each family member, 360 degrees, each one, which gives you the whole family, 360 degrees, right? And then it's like, let's lay everything on the table and see what we want to keep, see what we don't need, you know, non-judgment, no judgment whatsoever, right? And so she texted me this picture of her daughter's room, like a video, I mean, there's like video, like panning, like close up, da-dee-dee-dee. I have yet to seen a room, see a room that messy in my life of raising five teenagers. It was like legit, like top notch, top. Where you have raised five, you you are currently raising five teenagers, and you have not seen a messier room than than, than this. Never, never, oh. never. And I've coached the girl, like I know her. She's a sweetheart. <laughs> it's no reflection on her, right? And so, listen to this. The mom wrote me. She goes this would have driven me crazy or, or driven me out of my mind before, but now, and then she put the little emoji of <gasps> like, she's detached. So it's like this healthy detachment. It doesn't mean something about her parenting. It doesn't mean something about the person whose room is messy. It doesn't mean anything. It means there are a lot of items on the floor of that room in her house. And what that means is there are a lot of items on the floor. Like it doesn't have to mean something, which is what evokes all of those emotions, right? So, I mean, that's just one story. And I've got to say, Jenna, I too have a high school dropout. I'm smiling like, ding, like what? <laughs> and it is something I'm actually really proud of. And when I could, you know, have consultations with new clients, I just two days ago, this woman, she's, she's, you know, our kids go to the same high school. It just so happens. I don't know her though. And I said, I've got, you know, two at that school and one in college and one dropout. And I list it along the list because you know what? I said, I can tell you that story later, but that kid is so brave. And I am so proud of my child who decided that high school wasn't right for them, who changed their name three times, who has a fully shaved head like like Justin's and then a, it's called a skullet, okay? Who just came over with a new tattoo on their head. I am equally as proud of that child as I am of my like, perfectly straight laced, you know, Bass Pro Shop hat wearing boys, you know, Vanessa, this is a story that you tell actually in your lesson. And so this is a great segue to move over to, to talk about the lessons. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really powerful story, uh, that perfectly illustrates the theme of your lesson, but your lesson comes a little bit later in the workshop. It comes in week Three, I believe, and Jenna's comes in week one. So I think I'll I'll just start chronologically. So Jenna, you had actually two lessons out of these these ten, and they were the first two because they're about development. They're they're about adolescent development. They're they're about exactly what you were teaching when this <laughs> when your son <laughs> wanted to shave his head. And it's so much about hair, right? <laughs> Me and Justin are all over here, like oh, yeah. How many, I mean. <laughs> Seriously, how many parent-teen arguments are just about hair? I, 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 I don't know. But. Nine out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so the first lesson is about cognitive development, like what's happening in the teenage brain, what's happening in the adolescent brain. And then the second lesson is about identity development. So can you tell us a little bit about what, what you 
cover and why this is so important to lay the groundwork for the rest of the workshop. Sure. So, so talking about brain development, I think is a really great place to start because one of the really hard things about parenting adolescents is they can be incredibly mature in some ways. They can be, you know, like say, you know, again, my, my, my son is almost as tall as I am now. And as soon as he got like close, you know, it was, it was stretching up and being as, you know, all of those things. Like they can be physically so mature or even sometimes emotionally or intellectually so mature. And then at other times you're like, really, are you challenged channeling your kindergarten self? Like there's just this sort of back and forth. Um, and if we understand, um, sort of the cognitive processes that are coming online during adolescence, it really helps us not take some of the stuff that's happening personally. Um, So again, like the ability to think really abstractly and start to reason morally. You know, you may have a child who for their entire childhood has faithfully attended the services in your religion who now thinks that it's hypocritical or thinks that it's wrong or that, you know, this thing that has always been okay is now suddenly not only don't they like it, but, but it is wrong and it is a terrible thing. Um, and, and it can really feel that children are being deliberately defiant, obstructionist, um, that they're arguing with every single thing, that they're nitpicking, that they become legal scholars, right? And they say, well, you said I couldn't do this because of this reason, but when the other kid did, right? And they're like, and all of that can feel like an attack um, until you start thinking about it as like their brain's developing new superpowers. And of course they want to try them out, right? Like if you're, if you're developing the ability to think abstractly about hypotheticals, you know, of course you're going to come home and say, if I decided to drop out of high school right now and move to Tibet, and say, right, what would that look like? Uh, so, so talking about and sort of understanding the ways in which, you know, it's a mixed bag. In some way, adolescent brains are incredibly developed when it comes to being able to think abstractly or start to process morals and values. Um, and in other ways, especially around emotional regulation, and intensity of feelings, they're still really figuring things out. And like, like baby deer, you know, they get these, these long legs before they really know how to use them. Like adolescence is really about the brain developing all of these processes or fine tuning these processes. And then your kids figuring out how to use them by practicing trial and error on you mostly. And they're teachers, right? Like that's the good thing about, you know, sending kids off to school as they get to do this on someone else besides you. Uh, but, but really, that's, that's, that's what adolescence is from a, from a cognitive perspective. And, and expecting our kids to act grown up or act mature or manage their emotions um, can be really, really unfair when we now understand that a lot of those processes don't come fully online the way that we experience them as adults until people are in their mid or even late 20s. Right? So expecting a 17-year-old to deal with heartbreak or setbacks or what feels like failure with the same level of reasoning that we do just isn't, isn't fair because it isn't possible for them at that point. Well, and also, as we see in our uh, current uh, social political environment, um, when it comes to reasoning and maturity, some of us never get there, right? So, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I... Um, Wow. So the thing that, that, that hit me when you were talking about this and as, and now I recall working on, uh, this, these lessons with you, this 
the key idea for me that hit me was your teenager isn't broken. Like, like you, it, 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 it looks like the, like the teen years, like this wonderful child or this, this, you know, this child that I had is now broken. And right. so you lay the groundwork to say like, no, no, this is, this is totally healthy and normal. Vanessa, did you want to respond to that? I just, I love so much that I, um, everything you're saying from you guys being, you know, doctor and doctor. Hi, doctor, doctor, doctor. Remember that movie, doctor? <laughs> and I'm over here doctor, doctor. always saying it. You know, I'm zero person a doctor, right? But like, there, <laughs> like, don't let anyone think I'm never pretending to be something I'm not. And it's just like, yes, it's all like my experience and I guess my gut, which you guys have both too, right? It's just so validating, you know, and, and you're like giving me even more encouragement to keep, I say it in my own ways, I've got this hilarious analogy that I taught one parent where it's like, remember um, how that picture of Joey on Friends when he had the turkey on his head? Just imagine, listen, just imagine. Okay. Uh, just think of it. You don't. So that's her visual. I say, just picture a turkey on his head or 17 year old son. Right. Because think about this. You, you, you prepare a turkey, you, you do all the, the basting and the stuffing and the whatnot. Hopefully you're not vegan. Sorry, everyone. But right. You're like, you, you put it in the oven. You've planned backwards from when you want to eat you. The oven is preheated everything's right. Your style, your turkey, everything's right. You put it in the oven, you close the door. Now, what if you kept going, oh my gosh, it's not cooked yet. Open the door, open the door, open the door, close the door, open the door. First of all, the heat gets out, no momentum gets going, right? And then, and then it's like, it's not supposed to be ready yet. Didn't you set the timer for a dinging later? And so, my trigger for her was, and this is just like coaching little, like, you know, to get her to think it when this happens is, is when you see him doing something, it's like, he's not fully cooked yet. And everything you put in. So the dad's like, they had an argument. The dad's like, Vanessa said he's already cooked. And she's like, no, he's not cooked yet. And so they're <laughs> texting me on a group chat. They're like having this hilarious debate. And I'm like, no, it's both. You've done all the preparations. You put them in the oven. The rest is just a matter of time, right? So he's going to be cooked mm. and you've done everything you can. And now you wait, kind of. So it was great. <sighs> okay. So, th <clears throat> so this is a perfect segue, Vanessa, into your lesson, which is on acceptance. And it's maybe the deepest lesson for any parent to learn. And so what if you're a parent who has prepared this turkey and, you know, from, from, you know, from the time it came home from the store, you know, to like you, you've got the perfect, you read all the chef books, right? And, you know, you did everything and and you put it in the oven and this turkey wants to turn out a different way than what you wanted it to right. turn out. Like this turkey is saying, no, we're going to come out as roast beef and I don't <laughs> care what you have to say. So your lesson is about acceptance. This is so hard. So can you tell us a little bit about acceptance in parenting? Yeah, it's what we've already talked about. It really is. It's simple. It's hard, but it, it's difficult, but it's simple, I guess. You know what I mean? It's not easy. What do they say? It's not easy, but it's simple. It's simple because a couple of things. I'll say three things. 
Number one, if we don't accept ourselves and we're not on the path to working on accepting ourselves as we are, then there's no possible way that we can accept someone else. It's just a fact. You can fight me. You won't. You guys won't. But anyone can fight me on that. It's absolutely impossible to give someone something or teach. So I mean, like treat them that way as in the gift of I accept you and then have them model that and learn that if you don't have it, you can tell them it every day. Oh, accept yourself. But they'll know because it's invisible if you do or not. And it's visible. So that's the first thing. The second thing, it's none of our business how our kids turn out. It is none of our business. You guys know far more than I do, I'm sure, about codependency. But like for someone to turn out a certain way, that is how I get to be happy and satisfied with myself Mm. and not call myself a failure or a loser. If this, if check, if check, if check, Mm. like all you said, the college thing and the extracurriculars and all of the above, like that's not that's not a relationship. That's a science project. That's something completely different. Right. It's, it's, well, it's what we were talking about before. It's, can I get the gold star? So I, so, so I'm doing good. Right. Right. So this piece about accepting oneself or that if, that if you don't accept yourself, you can't possibly accept your child as they are. And there's another way to put that is if you don't have self-compassion, love for yourself, if you don't feel that you are fundamentally worthy, then that's going to come out on to your kids. And, you know, like, yes, I love you, but make sure you do this, this, and this, and this, and turn out in this way and that way. And there's a paradox in there that I, that I recall you talking about in your lesson that the more we try to have our kids turn out a certain way and the more we try to control them and you know uh that the uh that the worst things are likely to turn out in the end and and you illustrate this so well in your story about your daughter uh, who wanted to drop out of high school. And so I don't want to ruin it. Like I do want people to go into the workshop to read the story, but it turns out in a really beautiful way. And you illustrate how once you were able to accept your child for exactly the way this person, this human being in front of you is, and just Mm -hmm. unconditional love and acceptance yeah. Like it came back around in in a really beautiful and transformative way. And then it changed again. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that after I wrote that, it changed again. And they decided they go, they're they're non-binary. So they yes, then yes. but um the they um they then decided something else because they decided that what number one is is integrity and not approval. So I'll just leave it at that. If somebody wants to know the end of the story, I suppose that's a wonderful reason for them to, oh <laughs> to contact my gosh. me. <laughs> oh, but one, so one other thing I want to add for parents listening to this who are trying to wrap their heads around this idea of accepting yourself and accepting your child is we had on Ryle Castano on a past podcast. He's the CEO of Art International, which does authentic relating training. And we talk a lot about that in that podcast. 
it, how really all of our relationships, we are just projecting onto others the things that we do or don't accept about ourselves. Like what, what emotions am I willing to feel and which, which ones am I not willing to feel? And then I'm going to put that on to my kids as well. I'm going to say, no, you're not allowed to feel that. I'm not going to hold space for that because I can't do that for myself. And so there's, and then there's, we act like their bad reaction is their fault. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Jenna, how is this? How is all this landing for you? Oh, I love that. Um, and, and I really like, um, again, tying it back into the parent skills, the parents work, not only are our children not broken, but we're contributing to any conflict that exists. Mm. Right. Um, and that is the part that we really have control of. When you when when Vanessa talked about you know accepting your child for who they are, um, she brought to this really beautiful, you know, sort of transcendent place. Um, from a really pragmatic perspective, like all of the beautiful transcendent stuff is true. And as your child gets over, you will have less and less ability to actually control their behavior. Um, what you are able to control as your child approaches adulthood is your relationship with them, how you communicate with them, how honest they are with you, right? So I, mm-hmm. so my, my, my 15-year-old kid who, who dropped out of high school um, because he had major depressive disorder um, recovered from that and was 17 when all of the cannabis legalization was happening, right? And so I had this experience of my 17-year-old coming to me and saying, I'm really curious to try marijuana. And me saying again, because because we just had this fabulous opportunity to really learn how to talk and connect with each other. And me saying, I think that's a terrible idea. When you say that, like, my, like please no, right? Because like, I'm a health person and and, and this was a decade ago. So the, the research was still emerging, but you know, there's for the health stuff and for adolescents and maybe a psychotic break. And like, you say this and all I can think of is, I feel like I just got you back and anything that risks that really, really scares me. And he said, okay, I'll think about that. And I'm still curious and I'll do some more. And we continue to have this series of conversations where right right before he turned 18, he decided he was going to ignore my best advice and my wisdom and try it and see what he thought. And, And so then we had a conversation about like, what would that look like? And what could he do to make sure he was doing it in a safe place? And and I, I got to say again, like, this is not what I would vote for for you. And I'm saying, yep, yep, get that. Thanks, mom. And, and I, I've looked at it and this is my best judgment. Mm. Um, and after, you know, you know, he's like, that wasn't this. Like, for all we talked about and all the buildup, he's like, I'm disappointed. I'm like, good. I'm so <laughs> well, the lesson that, that, that I'm he- hearing and that I'm starting to experience now with my kids is that the, Issue isn't are they going to do it or not. It, the issue is are they are we going to keep an open, honest line of communication? Like that's that's the thing that I have control over. <laughs> that is so brilliant. <laughs> I'm freaking out, you guys. This is so brilliant. This is exactly it, in my opinion. <laughs> my dad was a, a police chief, so I grew up in a very much. Uh, authoritarian, my house, my rules, my way or the highway, as long as you're under my roof, young lady. Um, and what that did is it taught me to be pretty devious. Like I, right. I as a teenager do anything that violates my adult values now. Like I was a pretty good kid by most people's standard. I absolutely did things that my parents would have hated if they'd known about. And, and what I learned to do was not tell them, 
to lie if I had to, and then if I got caught to sort of fudge, dissemble, fib to minimize the consequences. Right. And oh wow. Gosh. That and was my I, that was my high school experience, right? uh, entire high school experience. Right. Oh, I know you caught me drinking with friends, but it's only just this once. I've never done it before and I'll never do it again. Right. <laughs> and what my parents lost and what I gained by, by approaching that differently was not that I, I necessarily had more control over my children's behavior, but I had more input and more conversation. And here's the thing um, to make it to make it a little bit dark and a little bit real for a second. Um, one of the things I do in, in my work around gender and sexuality at college campuses is I do sexual violence research. Um, and I can't tell you how many young college adults I have interviewed who experienced this horrible thing, um, but who won't allow us to give them help or resources because the idea of their parents finding out that they went to a party, that they were drunk, that they were incapacitated is paralyzing. That the fear of that judgment from their parents. And, and what I do, if they, if they come to me, you know, in a research role, I'm, I'm constrained by what I can do ethically. But if they come to me because they know that I do this research and they want to talk, what I do is I take off my researcher hat and I put on my mom hat. And I see the worst thing I can imagine as a mom is something bad happening to my kid, something hurting my child. The only thing that's worse than that is my child is hurt and I don't know it and I can't help. Right? So when we shut down conversations about behavior that we're uncomfortable with, when we say, absolutely not, unacceptable, my way or the highway, you do this as a deal breaker, is we shut down that connection for when they do get into trouble, when they are scared, when they do mess up, to come and say, help. Um, and that, for me, is, is the reason that no matter how much, this, and, and again, my adult kids do things all the time that I would not vote for if I got a vote. Um, right. But they tell me about it. They say, hey, here's this thing I'm doing, and I think it's going to make you crazy. And I'm like, yeah, a little bit. So honesty and keeping and prioritizing, keeping open lines of communication. It's not just about having a deep and connected relationship with your teenager, which is wonderful in itself. But Jenna, what you just brought up is that it could save a life. Like right. it could, it, like it, it, it's, it's real and it's, it's much bigger than your own you know, perfection view of how you want your child or your Ego. family to be. Ego. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If you're a parent like me, the teen years can be H-A-R-D hard. The communication breakdown, the conflict, the drama, the anxiety. For many parents, it's no walk in the park. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be this way. You can have a deep and loving relationship with your teen, even under the hardest circumstances. And the Family Thrive has brought together nine amazing experts to show you exactly how to achieve this. With researchers, psychologists, therapists, and professional relationship coaches, we've designed a 10 by 10 workshop in the Family Thrive app that has 10 lessons, each under 10 minutes, guaranteed to transform your relationship with your teen. These lessons cover topics like what's happening in the teen brain that makes them so unique, how to chart an effective parent strategy, the necessity of parent self-care, life-changing communication and relationship tools, and a lot more. 
What's even better is that all proceeds from the workshop will go to Maxwell Project, a nonprofit dedicated to helping childhood cancer families thrive. If you sign up before October 17th, you'll have the opportunity to work with a parent coach as you progress through the workshop. So head over to app.familythrive.com and sign up today. The next thing that I wanted to do, since I have you both here, is just talk about a few common issues that parents of teens have. Since I have these two experts on, let's just talk about a few things. So one of the things that um, I have heard, because I've been starting to talk about the parent-teen workshop with other parents I know, and this came up the other day uh, about the the teen tone, how, how it's, it's just, it's brutal. How, how like the parents are just feel like it's a, it's a dagger in the heart, the teen tone of just dismissive and, and just, and rude and cutting. How do you guys handle this? Funny. I've never really heard it. Teen tone. I love the branding of it all. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's another thing. Is it, is it really personal or did that person just have a bad day? Are they hungry? I always think about um, what I know from 12-step programs, HALT. Are they hungry? Are they angry? Are they lonely? Are they tired? And honestly, we could add like 10 more acronyms after that for what kids have to deal with these days. So I, they're not just our basic needs. Like that's pr- probably a, an old school acronym. There's so much more. So like for me, I deal with anxiety and depression. I have a really neurotic little brain, right? I don't know what size it is, but I'm super neurotic. And if I get edgy or snippy, so again, so let me just like tell you behind the scenes. I think about myself when I, when I lose it, when I can't cope with the amount of things that are coming toward me, which kids like listen to Jenna about the brains, right? Like it's a lot to process when a parent's like, did you do this? How'd you join your quiz? What did you do? What happened with so-and-so? Where's the data I gave you this morning? And all of that stuff is coming at them, at them, plus all the social media stuff, plus all the stuff that's happening in their classroom and all the little comments that they're hearing all day long and the pressure, like I could go on and on. Right. And, and then you say, how was your day? And they say, oh my God. That is not about you, mom. That is not about me, dad. Like that is not about us. That is a human having a human experience. And this very morning, I had a child laying in bed being a real, you know what to me, like really cutting and rude. And I'm like, there's no universe in which I could be any more kind and accommodating and, and accepting, literally, I said that word, like uh, to where you're at right now, which is recently diagnosed with moderate to severe anxiety with panic. It was like two days ago, right? Not treated yet. I said, I get it. And I'm not your enemy. So as much as you can like squeeze out a tiny bit of like, reciprocal kindness. I would really appreciate that. And I've set a boundary that I won't be talked to like that. And I love the crap out of you and I get where you're at and you don't have to do this. So boundaries, knowing it's not you about you, those can happen at the same time. You don't just have to set a boundary when you're teed off. Right. I love it. Yeah. Jenna. I love the part about not taking it personally again, because um, in in our heads we're always the star of the show, so everything is about us. Right. Um, and teenagers have that times ten. 
again, because of where their brains are. Like everything really is about them. Egocentrism is actually a defining hallmark of sort of how adolescents think. Yes, Jenna, you talk about egocentrism in your lesson. And, and in fact, as this major uh, feature, yeah, of being a teenager. And so it's really not about us. In fact, sometimes we're not even a blip on the radar. Um, right. And the frustrating thing, my, my kids' tone was a thing, eye-rolling. Can we talk about facial expressions? Because it's hard <laughs> to think about it. You, there is no legitimate way as a parent to feel justified in being like, no, your eyes were totally above the horizon of your glasses, right? Like, you just, And you're doing this with an adolescent, remember, whose reasoning, whose values, whose sense of right and wrong and justice are all like ramped up. The, um, I, I grew up, again, I grew up in a really strict family, but it was a really loving family. Um, the only time in my entire life as a teenager that my mother ever slapped me we got into an argument and I said to her, PG-13 alert, I said, you're acting like a bitch. Can you imagine? In this, in this super strict Irish Catholic family and my mom, who I'm sure did not even think about it, just, right? Like, you don't. And my response as a 16-year-old was, that's not fair. I didn't say you were a bitch. I just said you were acting. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you have ears? (laughs) It was my sense of overwhelming suck that I, right. But, but as soon as she responded in anger, I was so much more vindicated and justified. Um, Mm, mm. So so one of the things that I try and do, and it's again, it's hard because pulling yourself out of this equation and pulling your feelings out of this is super hard. But knowing that adolescents are dealing with new emotions, different intensity of emotions, I think it can be really helpful to sort of mirror back to them what you're experiencing. Wow, it feels like you're really frustrated with me right now. Right, good. Or it seems like I'm annoying you. Is this a good time to have this conversation? Um, And the great thing about this is that if you teach this to your kids, you get to use it with them. So I was, I was in the car, uh, we have a family farm and my husband and son and I were in the, uh, the truck yesterday going to pick up sheep. We've got to transport 40 sheep and it's a big deal and it's stressful. And we're talking about something about politics and both Todd and my son, Zach, are just like, no, you're wrong. Blah, 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 blah. And, and I was like, wow, it, it feels like everybody just piled on me really hard, but I don't even want to talk about this anymore. And, they, and, and everybody in my family gets that language. Right. Like, you seem frustrated or you seem early. I'm like, wow, it seems like you just both ganged up on me. And now I'm just, and, and then we got to talk about it. And then we got to go back to talking about the next thing. Um, Ooh, I the, love that. Yeah. The great thing about checking in about like, you seem frustrated or you seem angry is it gives the other person the opportunity to say, I'm not angry. I'm just... Right. It's not about you. You know what, Jen? I love that. I'll say, I'll say, oh, wow. Like, did I miss something? Did I irritate you or something? Because I didn't mean to. And they'll be like, oh, my God. You know how that is? But that's like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, my God. It's not about you. Sorry, mom. I just need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> or, <laughs> right? Like, like, they'll literally, it's so good what you're saying. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. The language that is coming up for me is from authentic relating and it's sharing impact. And I've tried to do this at times. Um, this, this hasn't happened with my 14 year old son, but it has with my 11 year old daughter who, you know, she'll, she'll say something really hurtful or rude. And so I'll, 
I'll share impact. I'll say, uh, like, that really hurt me. And in those moments, uh, like, I, I get a just like stonewall face, just like, I don't care. Like, if you drop dead, that's fine. But I'll sense later on, like, that really, like, letting her know that her dad can be hurt by those words is, is like really impactful. And I, and I won't hear those exact words again. <laughs> I might hear some other rude words, but like, just to let her know, like, oh, I, I just need to share this impact right now. This is, this is, this is hurting. Yeah. Yeah, that we're human too, you know, like acting like we're not human makes them feel like they can't be human, mm. Make you know, and it's just, it's just like a vicious cycle of like, well, you're pretending I can't be human. So now I'm going to call you out when you're human and there's no mercy whatsoever. Mm. And I wanted to say something back to what we were saying earlier about being, I think it's, it's a billion times that's scientific. You can find the research on that more important to be on the inside of the 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 crap that our kids get into than to be on the outside of it it's mm. like it's like you said and i just wanted to add to that from earlier like I, I i write this sentence everywhere like what if you could be the first person your teenager your child anyone your spouse for that matter could would wants to talk to and listen to instead of the last because Beautiful. how many times don't tell my parents they'll kill me versus I want to go right to my mom and dad because they love me more than anyone. And they're going to be the ones who are going to help me through this. That's how it should be. But we set them up to not believe that really, even mm. though it's true for us. Right. I love that. I love that. I hope I didn't change the subject too much. I just had to say that. No, no. And, and so this brings us to the last big topic that I wanted to talk about when I'm hearing so much in what you both have said, and this came out in all the lessons. And I was really left with this message at the end of the parenting workshop is that parenting a teenager, if you really want a deep connected relationship with your teenager, it's going to require you as a parent to grow. Like you're not going to go into the teenage years with your kids the same person that you were, you're not going to leave the same person that you were when you right. went in. Right. And so I'm wondering if you can both talk about your personal, but also professional experiences around this idea that like the problems that, or the challenges to put it in a different way that you have with your teens, they're really an invitation for you to grow as a person. Absolutely. Right. And, and the first thing um, that I think it, needs to happen for that growth to occur is to sort of verbalize the story of, of what you have and what you wanted for your kid. The, you know, this perfect life you had planned from them from, from the first time you held them or the first time you saw the, the, the fetal ultrasound or, you know, this is who this kid is going to be. Um, and, um, and recognize that by letting that grow and sort of working with the child um, supporting them in their journey, right? Like you don't get to lead this journey, but you have to support them in their journey to figure out who they are um, and, and growing to be the parent that you need to be to support them in that, you know? The same way that when your kid became interested in Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon or whatever cartoon was, like you learned all the characters because it was important to your kid. And I still know everybody, every single dinosaur and all of the songs in Land Before Time because it really, really mattered to my kids. So, so I did that homework so that I could have meaningful conversations. 
by doing that with your kid as an adolescent, not only do you have this deeper connected relationship, but you're really giving them permission to figure out who they are um, and what makes them happy, right? And, and as adults, like, I, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm 52. I know so many people my age who are relatively miserable in the perfect lives that their parents picked out for them. You know, the, the doctors, the lawyers, the, 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 everything that got decided when they were 16, 17, 18, 20, about who they were going to be for the rest of their lives and who are maybe now just as they hit 30, 40, 50, starting to explore what else they could be or what they really want to do, right? The ability to grow with your kid, to, to be semi-competent in their interests, to be engaged, to at least be able to let go of your own baggage about why this is a terrible idea if your kid shaves their head or smokes pot, um, to let them explore who they are, gives them this incredible gift that anybody I know wants for themselves and the people they care about. That was touching. Thank you. And I officially don't hate my life. And it's because, uh, you know what you're talking about? Like, and I know you guys don't either. Like, I'm 44 and, um, and it was because get this, like, I have like a really good demonstration of this. My child came out at 10, just so happens to be the same one. We were talking about my second one came out as a lesbian when, when they were a, she identified as a she and, and, um, came out and I'm like, I know Ellen DeGeneres. Okay. Like not really, but from TV, like, that's like my whole, like Richard Simmons, Ellen DeGeneres. That's like, Catholic world. Like I, I, I didn't have any like, like hatred toward LGBTQ, but it was through parenting my child. Yes, dude, let's be gay. I'm, I'm literally Googling. I remember where I was sitting gay kid Phoenix. <laughs> like, Let's freaking do this. We're in a P flag meeting like the next day, right? Parents and what's that called? Uh, allies, parents and friends of lesbians and gays. Yeah, right, right. So we showed up there, right? So I'm saying that it was through the parenting, my parenting and my immense unconditional love, which I told you is super duper part of not drinking the Kool-Aid, no conditions. You be you, I'm going to be there. Where are you? Who are you? Oh, I'm there for that, right? So then flash forward years later, probably four years later, I came out and it's like, look at that. Do you have, there is no doubt in my mind that I would still be a married Catholic, natural family planning, Bible study leading. I love Jesus and stuff, but holy crap, that was not me. And I was fitting into something. And because my child, I didn't thwart that. And I, and I was, I literally became, got to be myself because of that. And I got to tell you that as different as my five kids are, each and every one of them ends up telling me somehow, some way on a regular basis that they're so proud of me being who I am, despite the fact that they will have a like, like very well-known lifelong impact from the divorce, the divorce drama and tragedy of the family breaking up, me getting being authentic and growing because I had to show them what I'm talking about is real for me too. Oh my God, it's beautiful. And it's like a perfect illustration of what we're talking about here. Like the demand to grow as a human being that the teenage years or for you, it was the tween years at at 10 opened up for you. It was like, Vanessa, 
you needed to grow, like you needed to open up and grow as a human being in order to continue to connect with your child, in order to understand them, in order to support them, in order to fully love them. And it transformed you. Yeah, all day. And everyone in my life knows all the kids, my wife, my mom, the single most influential person in my life is the one whose guts I hated for a really long time. And that's number two kid because they challenged me and I could have gone one way or the other. One way is to have them conform. And I promise you this. And I have text messages to the affirmative that this kid would not be alive if I had parented them in the way of conforming and, and gaining society's approval. They couldn't be here for that. There's no way. And so what we talked about before was this idea of, you know, we can't accept in our kids what we can't accept in ourselves. Uh, But it seemed like maybe this went in the other direction for you that you worked to accept this in your child. And then you were later able to accept something new about yourself. Yeah. Something I already knew, but I couldn't even Mm. touch. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. Well, I am so grateful to you both for working on this workshop with me. I really hope this is the first of many uh, because the many of the lessons that we work on in this workshop are, run throughout all of parenting, you know, that they really, I think are heightened in the teenage years. Like it comes to a boil and like, you better have your SHIT together here because this is, this is the real game, but it goes throughout the whole, the whole thing. And then at our, our very last lesson in the parenting workshop is about parenting a young adult. And Jenna, now you're in, in that phase now of, you know, parenting when your kids are now in their twenties and early thirties and, and really have their own full lives. But it's, I'm, um, these lessons go from day one all the way to adulthood. Thank you so much for doing this. And, um, I, yeah, I can't wait to have you both back on the podcast. There are so many rich lessons that I'm so excited for you to share with other parents. Thank you. Thank you. It was Vanessa. It was great to chat with you. Oh my gosh. I feel you guys just gave me so much life. The family thrive fan club. Justin keeps introducing me to all these fabulous humans. Oh, back at you. I mean, I don't know if I, I'm going to like jump through the ceiling when I get off of this. Like you guys just really, it makes me want to cry because sometimes, you know, you each probably sometimes can feel really alone in doing this work and trying to like be different than the, <laughs> I keep saying it, but you know what I mean? The Kool-Aid drinkers, the people who take it, you know, like they don't think it through, like doesn't have to be this bad. We don't have to suffer. Yes, it's painful, but we don't have to suffer. So getting to talk to people who are just like, kind of fighting the status quo, you know, protesting the party line. Like, I really appreciate it. it it's really moving. And I, I love you guys so much. Mm, mm, that is what the Family Thrive is all about. We are in this together. It's really a community of parents that want to flourish, that want to thrive. They don't just want the status quo. They right. don't just want the Kool-Aid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Uh, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Family Thrive Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell two friends, and head on over to Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts and give us a review. 
We're so grateful you've chosen to join us on this Family Thrive journey. 